Hello friends and folks, and welcome to Scanlane Media's 2022 Gimmick Awards. We are here to celebrate the best and brightest in media, except for that one category where we talk about the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not actually the worst. There's wasn't you know, the worst. disappointment. Disappointment. There's, it's a different, right. different flavor. Yeah. We didn't put a single gotcha game in there, so you know we weren't really talking about the worst. Yeah. Uh, I'm Six Detmar. I'm Jennifer Uncle. I'm Kyrie Page, and this is it. This is it. Game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some sites, some places will be like, okay, obviously we want a top 10. No, rules do not change. One winner, two runners up, more if absolutely necessary. Let's be brutal here. And because we know we're going to be brutal, our list is relatively tame because we know how many of these are going to go. Jen, can you read it out for us? Sure thing. Our nominees for Game of the Year are Drainus, Elden Ring, Immortality, Kirby and the Forgotten Lands, Live Alive, Pentiment, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Potionomics, Signalis, Splatoon 3, Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin, The Quarry, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge, Tohu Mistia's Izakaya, and Witch on the Holy Night. So I think TMNT Shredder's Revenge is your edition, and you laughed when you read it. Well, I was just... Are you ready to see it go? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to cut other things first, but sure, that works. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not top three, but damn, it's, it's a fun video game. Yeah, like, they sure. they went and did it. They They made a new one of those, and it's a fantastic version of, like, it's a fantastic take on that specific t- type of side-scrolling beat-em-up that uh, in many ways plays even better than the originals that people love. But uh, I would I would really hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I, I have a I have a, a deep affection for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. That's just a fun, fun side-scrolling beat-em-up game. But man, like that's a genre that has stagnated for a very long time. And Shredder's Revenge isn't doing anything particularly innovative, but it's just like fun. It can support up to six people at the same time. It actually makes the like when the netcode does work, you got like really efficient like drop in, drop out like gameplay. Like is the type of game that you would imagine that you would play on a double wide arcade like board, basically. And just just have a whale of a time. Also, they got some fucking artists for that soundtrack, like <laughs> members of Wu Tang Clan on a specific song, and uh, mostly a bunch of mix of uh, like chiptune composers and uh, um, nerd nerdcore kind of stuff. But uh, it all works out in the end to sound pretty good. It's fun. Yeah. Oh, good for them. Yeah. They did it. They did the dang thing. But it can go. I'm also okay. willing to cut Signalis, which is uh, a fantastic game, but I didn't get a chance to actually see it through to the end, uh, even when I was preparing for this category. Like, uh, it uh, is a fantastic isometric take on classic uh, survival horror. Um it's queer as hell. It uh, does some fantastic things with like its whole look. And there are moments when I 
do think it leans a little too heavily into like paying tribute to the its uh inspirations like there's just straight up a water tank puzzle that is lifted right out of resident evil <laughs> and it has the instructions on how to solve it right next to it to the point where it's like okay it seems like y'all probably should have just removed this entirely <laughs> if you were just going to put the instructions here but whatever but uh yeah, it is well worth checking out if you have a stomach for horror. It does have, like, a pretty sick look. I really do love the... Like, we're kind of in this era of, like, indie games now where people are replicating um, the PlayStation 1 aesthetic of, like, of blocky polygons and things of that nature, you know. But I, I, I think, like, Signalis, like, it taps into the feeling of playing a type of game uh, like on that system rather than being constrained by that limitation. Yeah. Like I think it, it definitely evokes that kind of thing, but like looking at it, it also has clear like pixel art um, like work for the, like the textures and stuff, the way those are shaded mm -hmm. and also like lighting and stuff. This is all like techniques that like, not just, I'm not like saying wouldn't be capable, but like just weren't, that wasn't how we thought about graphics back then. So I think it manages, as you say, to be inspired without being limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. You want to capture the feeling that exists in your memory of booting up a PlayStation 1 rather than the actual material reality of such a thing. Yeah, and it, it's pretty cool during the few segments where it just changes to a first-person perspective, either if you're solving a puzzle or if you're exploring an environment. It's a... Uh, it does a great job of shifting between these different perspectives and art styles pretty well. Cool. Um, similar in, in that vein, we can also cut Drainus. I've been like singing this game's praises a lot during these awards and during these, uh, you know, just over the course of the year. Hasn't quite made it into any top threes, but that's fine. Like it is uh, top of my list for 2022. It is a fantastic you know, representation of a genre I hold near and dear to my heart. I think it has a lot of smart changes compared to sh like shooters of its genre from years ago and even current stuff. Like it really does feel like a, it's a fun step forward for a genre so steeped in the past. I don't know. It's, I, I have a, like, it's a really enjoyable a game and i've also watched like some one credit clears that people have pulled off and it's like it's impressive yeah a genre that i don't really i don't really feel like i understand but maybe drainus would be the way to do it so i don't know i think i think drainus is very approachable while also being in conversation with games like gradius 5 on the ps2 which is like hmm. which was like treasure trying to make gradius a lot more uh, approachable as well um, hmm. Like, I, I cut my teeth on <laughs> Gradius 3 on Super Nintendo, which is not the way to play that game. Um, but, like, I think Drainus does a lot of, like, really smart things to make the challenge... Like, the challenge is still there, but it is an approachable challenge that isn't so, like, deeply punishing, like the, like the genre is known for. Mm-hmm. Um... I think we should cut Elden Ring because, I mean, Elden Ring obviously is going to be on a lot of Game of the Year lists. I think it's an incredible game. 
I just don't think it's game of the year for anyone in this room. Certainly wasn't on my list. <laughs> um, yeah, it wasn't on my list either. Um, it it is one of those games where like I like it a whole lot to the point where I have two different copies and I have enjoyed like spending hours exploring various parts of it. I I've come to some realization that I'm okay not finishing from software games. I just enjoy hanging around in their settings and uh, getting as far as I can before going to do something else and then coming back later. But uh, yeah, it's, I think that one of the big things that works against Elden Ring is that like the focus on having a larger open world uh, means that some of the dungeons that you end up doing all feel kind of similar to one another but uh mm -hmm. yeah aside from that i think it's pretty great i think i mean i they keep patching this so I, this this comment is not necessarily up to date mm -hmm. um because i haven't played it in months but i also think there's a real problem with like i mean i guess it's a problem that a lot of these games share but you know this is the one that's on the list right is i feel like f for a game as punishing as it is there are a lot of shitty builds that just aren't really supported by the game very well. Mm. Um, and that's pretty frustrating. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, I, like, I don't love that. For as much of, like, the intention of a game like this, where it's kind of like, it's trying to harken back to the days of, like, Tower of Duraga, where people would, like, leave notes on the side of the arcade machine saying, this is the optimal way to play it. Like, Elden Ring in the modern era should at least support more than just, like, the optimal but it is still, like, a really cool and fascinating thing, and it has, like, a lot of really interesting set pieces, and I love the character designs on a lot of the, like, bosses and monsters. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm also willing to cut the quarry just because uh, Curie and I also have not finished that one. Um, well, we had fun I mean, with it. Uh, hold up, hold up. Yeah. We're not, like... We're not saying you have to finish a game for it to be on this list. That's not. Yeah. I mean, like, if you want to cut it, I'm I'm fine with that. I don't have any affection for it, but I don't. I I want to catch this line of logic early on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Be like that's not that's not sure. a, that's not a rule here. I still think it is like one to kind of cut because it's just sort of it is a really really polished one of like you know it's a really polished game from the people that made. Until Dawn, it's very much like, oh, you're, like, playing the movie. And I think it has, like, more going on in that game. I think it really encourages, like, you know, like, it really leads into the campiness of those types of movies, like, very well. It captures the aesthetic, like, well. But I just think, in general, it, it still falls flat in some um, areas that I don't necessarily, like, care for. Um uh -huh. it's it's still like i said still fun i think it has like some sharp dialogue it it's performed very well but a lot of it is just sort of this is just that type of game it is executing well on its intention and um i will say like that there it is fun to be able to have that mode where like oh everyone in, like it, it becomes like a party game where everyone gets to play a different character and, you know, the way I played it when we played it was like, okay, I'm going to intentionally do stuff that is, like, just funny or narratively interesting rather than, like, oh, I need to, to make sure all the teens survive this, like, slasher movie, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But I, I think at the end of the day, it is just like, it is a refinement of that type of game. Um, but it still falls, you know, short because it is that type of game. Yeah. I'll also mention that, like, uh, the cast they have here is one of their best casts. Like, uh, they really lucked out with Until Dawn when they ended up getting... Uh, blanking on his name right now, but, like, R- Rami Malek before he became a pretty big star. But, like, uh, I feel like The Quarry has a nice mix of people I haven't heard of before and just, like, very classic uh, camp actors that... Uh, do a fantastic job. Like Ted Raimi is so much fun in this one as a um paranoid, slightly off cop. But uh yeah. It it's definitely worth checking out if you really enjoyed Until Dawn because it's more of that. But uh it does make it slightly less impressive once you know that they've done it once before. Yeah, like we've seen this trick before and it's a good trick, but um I don't know. It is it is you know, is going to be forever that type of game, which is fine. Again, this is like a fun game to like, if you have a group of friends over for a weekend and you want to like, just have a ball, go for it. Um, but that's about the, the, the length of it. I want to add a game sure. and then cut a different one. Okay. okay. I'm adding Gran Turismo 7. All right. Okay. And I'm cutting Toho Misty Azizakaya. Um, it is not like it's one of those things where if you're the only person in a room who supports something, it kind of has to be your game of the year. Uh, Misty Azizakaya is not my game of the year. It's on my list. I think it's really good. Um, it is kind of a humble game, though, ultimately, right? It is a like charming pixel art, uh, like restaurant. It's not even really a restaurant sim. I think that's unfair. I, I, The way we apply sim is a thing I generally bristle at. Mm-hmm. It is a restaurant game. Um, and I think the character work is great. The artwork is great. I think the game is fun and charming, and I like it a lot. But I don't think it's a game of the year contender it, in that way. It is, like, of what I have seen of it, it is, like, it's, like, really just fun and charming um, just in general. But also, like, it's it's one of those things that, like, there's tons of... I think it... Like, I, I wonder how much of it is, like, it is striking you because it's, like, the first, like, Toho game that, like, really just kind of fits for you. Um, but, like... Sure. But that's not, like, to say it is weaker because of that. Like, it is still, like, a good thing on its own. And I appreciate the support it's gotten as well. Like, they're on a pretty good pace translating all the, like, DLC that has been added mm-hmm. to it. Um, and also it's like the base game is like $5, like, you know, <laughs> give it a try. Um, on the other hand, I have a bit of a pushback that like, I like this game. I like almost everything that's left. I don't think any of us are really seriously pushing for Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. I think we all like it. I think we all think it's cool. And all of us have other horses we're serious about. That is true. Like, I am probably the, like, most adamant, like, like Kirby, like, person here. Like, I really, I have a lot of strong, like, attachment and affection for Kirby. And I think that the Forgotten Lands is special because they finally figured out how to take this game into 
3D, which is impressive, and still be, like, this fun, approachable, like, adventure. But the thing is, like, it is... Like, it seems... It's more remarkable because, six, like, you finally found a Kirby game you like. Yeah, that doesn't bore me. Yeah. That doesn't bore me. Like, I, I have affection for um one of the SNES Kirbys, because it was a game I played when I was discovering what video games were. Going back to it, I'm like, wow, this is boring. <laughs> which which one are you referring to? Dreamland 3, I think? No. Um, okay, Kirby there's, SNES. There's a superstar. It, there is... It's a, it's a third... It's, a, it's, it's like a side Kirby series, and it's the third one of that. Um, it is... There's um, Dream Course. That's a side... Game. Well, no, like, there's Dreamland... Uh, that's it was one. it was really focused around like the the buddies. Yeah, right? you're you're talking about Dreamland three, like this the one that oh, looks like I? a okay. chaos. That's, it looks like it's yes, crayon drawn. Yes, this mm-hmm. is dream. This is yeah. This is this is you're right. Mm-hmm. Dreamland three, and I was like, you know, I I liked it at the time. I still think it's charming. I think going back to it, like every other Kirby game I've played, I think the level design is boring. Mm. And. You know, I'm not I'm not here to fight that argument. That's my experience. I'm not here to like I, I'm not breaking out the spreadsheets to prove why it's like factually bad. or Yeah, anything. you just, just don't like, like it. I haven't enjoyed it. And uh, I have a lot of affection. Yeah, I have a lot of affection for Superstar um, because I think that game does actually have like a pretty fun challenge near the like end of that game. But mm-hmm. that is like the challenge there was like the arena mode in which like me and my brother when we were very young just like going through that mode like a bunch of times until we could finally beat it um but like they're simple and they're fun games and forgotten lanes is still a simple fun game that looks nice and plays well and is just sort of like it, it's like they did the dang thing um but it's it's kind of the game that mario odyssey should have been i agree it's uh, better than mario yeah. odyssey but that's not a oh yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah um yeah, but yeah. Okay. Forgotten Lands could go. Um, hmm. I, uh, on the same note as Six uh, cutting uh, Tohu Mistias Izakaya, I'm probably, I think I'm willing to cut Immortality here. Uh, it is a fantastic game, and uh, it does some pretty incredible things, but uh, also it's one of those situations where I'm the only one who played it, and uh, it's, it's really hard to describe just what makes it special unless someone else has seen it too um i i will say that if nothing else in terms of just a thing i can talk about without just talking about the specific nature of the game mm-hmm. it is fucking incredible that they managed to make a three convincing films uh as part of it and just nailed the specific type of schlock they were going for with those films without it feeling overly fake or straight up miserable to watch. Like, uh, it's genu- it's genuinely impressive that uh, those feel like movie-ass movies. I would watch Minsky if it was real. Yeah, it's definitely a project that I have a lot of respect for, even though I have zero interest in ever seeing it. I think, like, this this movement it's um it's not sam barlow is it yeah it's sam barlow Barlow. okay yeah i sometimes get names mixed up in my head like sam barlow like in the way in which that team is trying to take fmv very seriously is something that i can appreciate like it's still goofy 
but like those games like immortality her story things of that nature is like no there is a you know it's more than just you know um mark hamill looking at a funny lion man right like it's like mm-hmm. no, it's a whole it's a whole like there is an art to this and there is like ways we can explore it and i can appreciate it on that end i also think it's a really major course correction after telling lies mm-hmm. um and that's impressive too yeah also shout outs to natalie watson for writing uh two of everything which is the perfect song for that third movie shout outs outs. all right i'll okay i'll i'm willing because this is the game that i mostly played we can cut potionomics i think that is a really fantastic game that is absolutely one of those greater than the sum of its own parts type games i really appreciate like a lot of what it is trying to do where it is capturing that feeling of playing uh Reciteer and also like improving on it and trying um different things and while i find like the story stuff and the character stuff kind of like it's a little sometimes a little too twee for my tastes it is still mm-hmm. like like okay this is just nice it is a nice playing game nice feeling um and it challenges you through like some pretty interesting time management and like you know planning elements and i think um it is a really just fantastic time i did take time to play some of it and i didn't get it but you know sure like it's not for everyone <laughs> like sure. i i think that i think like i like once you really like, i i felt like it really started to take off like once i started like planning you know multiple potion brews like like days in advance getting orders and things like that and like really trying to like optimize days and uh things of that nature but it is like it's a big fun puzzle box uh to like solve with like some pretty appealing like character designs and like sometimes the writing is still like charming and funny um mm-hmm. i can go cool okay now we're down to the hard ones. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Kyrie will feel differently here. It's good, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are going to argue it isn't. Splatoon 3 is more Splatoon. Correct. I think it can go because I think it. I really <laughs> like that game, obviously. I think it is more Splatoon, which I appreciate. But also, it is, like, if nothing else, I'm glad that it is, is, as a game, comfortable with, like, changing up core parts of that experience while understanding, like, what makes it fun. Um, But sometimes, like, they're just parts that don't come together. People had problems with that netcode, and the three-way Splatfests still have, like, kind of balancing issues. But it just kind of doesn't really work. You get, like, I mean, you get people fighting their own team. Mm-hmm. You get, like, complete stomps. Uh, the three-way Splatfest was a fun idea that I don't think they've actually figured out. I think, and I, but the thing is, like, the thing I appreciate about Splatoon 3 as they are stated that they're going to be supporting this game for a couple of years. Like, I, this is kind of like the story, like, this kind of happened even in early Splatoon. If you played Splatoon 1, they had a similar problem where, like, even the two-team Splatfests were, like, that very quickly became unbalanced. 
and mm. I think by the time by the end of like the final like Splatfest for one and then kind of like the midpoint of like two I think they kind of got there and three I think will also get there um but we can't necessarily judge it on it like my confidence that it will get there that said I still think there's a lot to like I think sure it is probably one of the best looking best sounding like of that game has done and it's it's just Splatoon just rocks like it's just like a really enjoyable uh game that I think just I I really love it but it can go to be honest like from the outset of the series I think Splatfests are a broken idea mm. I think when you say let's have a popularity contest but we have to balance it so popularity doesn't matter then your whole idea is busted <laughs> I think I think one of the big uh, issues is that sometimes, like, I wish sometimes, like, Splatfest had, like, a dumb set of, like, continuity, right? So that, mm. like, because I think ideally, like, the most fun I've had with certain Splatfests is not getting into actual arguments with people, but just, like, pretending to be, like, really invested that, like, mayo is a better condiment than ketchup, right? Sure, like, sure. Like, that's the fun part. Like, I think conceptually as a fun popularity thing where people get really invested about like something that doesn't actually matter but at the end of the day you're still having like a fun time playing a video game like i think that's admirable as a goal as like an aesthetic goal and i think the splatfests are important to splatoon as a way of celebrating that yeah i think splatfests also kind of fit a nice niche where it's like it's not a game that is like this always online internet connected situation, but uh, every once in a while it'll just have these events that they throw that they could only throw online. And uh, it's kind of fun to have this ephemeral moment when more people are on Splatoon playing. That said, I, the lobby stuff could be better, but yeah. 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 I mean, like I like a lot of the trappings and some of like the, the fun around Splatfest, but I really think you've been given seven years and it is still the case that it's like, you're asking what do people like the most, but that's not really the question. The question is, how does our matchmaking happen to make people win or lose? Mm -hmm. Because, like, you have times where it's like, oh, it's, I don't know, like, gold versus silver, fake example. And 80% of people picked gold, but silver won. It's like, why? They did a Pokemon gold and silver to fly fast in two, I believe. <laughs> I, I was just talking about metals. I know. That's pretty funny. Sure. <laughs> um... They did do a, like a kind of cool concept in Splatoon Two, where like you had a two like two events back to back, where like okay, you have the who's your favorite Ninja Turtle, and it was like two teams of like oh it's Donatello or Michelangelo, and then Leonardo and um, Raphael, right? And then they had a follow up of like the winner of that, and I think more of that. And then they had losers fun. finals, and you know they had to reset the bracket. Yeah, and... of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Raphael really pushed hard for it, but he, he got the reset, but it, 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 uh -huh. he didn't follow through. Damn. Damn. Rip the Raphael. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it, again, ultimately Splatoon 3 can go. I just have a, like, it's it's Splatoon. It's really good. It's really fun. I think it's still, like, worthwhile. Like, if you are a fan of that type of game, I think it is a good time. Across the course of these awards, we have talked around a problem. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. 
Stranger Paradise Final Fantasy Origin has the most obnoxious loot system in the world. Yes, I was I was going to go to that one next and specifically <laughs> talk about how the end game is so fucked I can't even like buy and play the like additional story DLC because it requires you to like get into this end game loop that is absolutely miserable. Yeah, I'm going to try to do it this year anyway because I want to see that stuff, but it's like it I don't know what higher up person at Team Ninja keeps forcing like this like end game pinata systems into every game they make. Uh-huh. You need to fire them. They are fucking your games up. Because at the core, Stranger of Paradise is something really special. It sounds like. yeah, yeah. And and yet, like, I mean, even if you don't want to engage with this stuff, you're sitting here like, oh, shit, I got to stop and manage my inventory again, because across the last 10 minutes of fighting, I got 90 items and my inventory is so clogged I can't use it. It's just obnoxious. <sighs> yeah, I, and, and then also, as as Jen mentioned, seems like they've done some really cool stuff with DLC. It's possible. We'll never know, even though I bought it. Because in order to get into it, you have to start getting into their, like, tuning, turning up the difficulty hard mode loot grind. Mm-hmm. Which is hellish. Yeah. But yeah. before, but real quick, before we cut it, because that's the direction we're going, why, why was it nominated? I want to, like, let's lay out real quick why I mean, that is. It's, it's gotten a fair bit of discussion in other categories, to be fair. But, I mean, like, I think... The combat is fundamentally fun. I think what it does with characters and story, the writing is really good and also really unusual, right, for mm-hmm. the genre. It is a very striking JRPG about, like... About a man who know. feels like he's plucked from a Gears of War title. <laughs> who, who feels like that at first, and then it's like, no, actually, uh, he is way more interesting than that. What he actually turns out to be is, like, what if you picked... I don't know, some, like, like overall good person, but, like, asshole streak jock from the real world, and he was in this, right? Like, mm-hmm. it is kind of technically an isekai. It's not really about that at all. But, like, there is overall an approach about, like, sque- like squeezing reality into the tropes of Final Fantasy, I think, in a way that's really cool. Um, I don't know, I... I I think anybody who enjoys an action RPG should play this game. I think it's really good. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it's impossible to ignore the caveats. I mean, there's also caveats like the it was clearly a bigger game that got boiled down because their budget kept getting viciously slashed to the point that you just have a menu of like conversations you theoretically would have had. At the end of the game, I was just going through because I didn't bother in my main playthrough seeing like a conversation with a lady that I would have had in chapter one and then her conversation from chapter two, then chapter three, then chapter four, then chapter five. And it's just like, this is bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, like there was a clearly meant to be a part which like Jack and the crew just like walked around town and he talked to a lady and then he came back in chapter two in that same hub town and she had something different to say. Yeah. My favorite bit of that is like, there's various bits where you're returning to the capital and it involves a cutscene of you checking in with the inn owner as you, uh, 
stay the night there, and it's very clear that that was initially meant for you to, like, walk over to the inn and initiate it that way. I really enjoyed the fucking, like, the the one, one of the, some of the NPCs you can talk to are, like, a pair of guards, and I really enjoyed when going through all of these, seeing that for three chapters in a row, those knights just said, light bless you. I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for inserting alternate takes of this cutscene chapter after chapter. Appreciate it. But it is I still I still remember that novel not new episode y'all did on it. It's like God. What a whips. What a what a wacky game to like have like exist at all. Yeah. All right. I think this is Gran Turismo 7's time. Mm. For similar, they fucked it up reasons. I think, first of all, a thing that doesn't get said much, I think the post-launch support has been pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, both in, like, there hasn't been a ton of it, and then when there has, it has been, like, new, like, they call them menus, right? Which are, like, like little, like, mini campaigns, right? Right. Um, And I think they've all been tuned really poorly or in a really frustrating. Um. There are a bunch of, like, endgame stuff that they've added where it's, like, you have to use this car and you can't make any modifications. You can just tune it. And if you don't understand their tuning system, you just can't win. Mm. Um, Then also, of course, the main complaint, which is when they put out this game and they're like, also, we have this, like, legendary cars market, which we're, like, licensing based off of this, like real world like used like you know prestige cars like dealer and then we're going to tie the prices to that but we're not gonna like you're not gonna like actually make that like they're not going to uh, change change the rest of the economy to account for that Uh they're going to have a situation where you can buy and i mean this is kind of true in real life guess what? It sucks in real life where mm. you're like, you can buy a, you know, like a used Toyota for 2000 credits, or you can buy this Shelby Cobra for $12 million. And it's like, how the fuck am I supposed to get $12 million? You will not give me that money. Oh, you will actually, if I spent several hundred real dollars. Right. Because they introduced like a lot of like, much like the gripes that you're having with like uh stranger paradise is like there is like a genuinely good game here that is just like piled on with like really awful like systems on the outside of it they used analytics for evil because they saw how people were grinding and they're like we've determined based on analytics that y'all are making too much money and we're going to nerf the payout of these races it's like like isn't the whole point of Gran Turismo is that it's the fantasy of owning like a billion cars and getting to drive like really nice cars that in you and I's like real actual world we will never be able to touch, let alone ever drive. Yeah, and I think there is I I do think there is something, right? Like I think part of why Forza Horizon four or five or whichever the fuck one we're up to that I played and pretty quickly was like, nah, this is boring. Those games by this point are like, congratulations, you took a shit, here are seven cars. And it makes cars meaningless. Mm -hmm. 
you don't appreciate them. You don't care about them. They don't feel distinct. I don't know if they didn't do the work or if I'm just so bored by them and getting new ones so often that I can't tell. Right. And so I think there is something like there is there is a concept of like pacing your rewards. That's not what they're doing. No, no, no. This isn't like this isn't like, you know, almost like 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 older titles in Gran Turismo, which like, no, there's like an arc. There's like you have to build up to like getting the really nice fancy car. But because there are fewer cars because it's we're on the PS2, like each one seems to matter more. Yeah, it's. It's a very complicated situation because, like, Gran Turismo 7 is maybe the best the series has ever felt. Like, yeah. the DualSense stuff where you can feel the car shifting in your hands and you feel the tarmac under your feel the tarmac under your car and stuff like that. It feels all fantastic. Um, it, it really got me enthusiastic enough about cars that I did go into the tuning menu and, like, optimize things so I could get a car just under the limit for specific events and things like that and uh i still play it fairly regularly but uh yeah it's impossible to ignore that they have decided to make this one always online they decided to um put in hooks to kind of encourage you to just keep spending real world money on it it's uh it's a whole thing it's such a shame because like yeah i mean it it showed me the joy of of sim racing games, and I've played others, and I've enjoyed some of them, but still nothing quite matches the feel of Gran Turismo, and I literally mean the word feel. I mean driving with the controller in your hand and the way they use the rumble built into those triggers to tell you what surface you're on, to tell you like how much like grip you have and that your engine is fighting, and like you can tell so much from the feedback in that game. It's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I haven't played it, like, much, but, like, I've, like, I think I've, like, taken the controller and, like, felt, like, how it feels in that PlayStation 5 controller, and it is nuts what they have done. And, like, that's kind of, like, the story of Gran Turismo, is that the obsessive amount of detail that they have, like, lends to the idea that you're not just, you know, driving around a little virtual simulacrum of a butt-butt car or whatever, right? It's like, no each one feels different in the same way of like in your real life. If you like drive, like, you, you know, somebody else's car and you're like, Oh, this just feels different. Yeah. And the, the weather model is insane. Like <laughs> the way that you could just look up at the sky and tell if it's a little downcast and kind of predict if it's going to rain in a specific area. And in certain tracks, the track is so big that it's only raining in one specific section of the track. But uh... I, you can you can. Yeah, as Jen's saying, you can do like one of the longer races. Right. And you can look up and see the clouds and be like, I'm going to go switch to intermediate tires now. And then it starts raining and you're like, yep, I could tell. And now I'm fucking winning purely because I switched tires at the right time because I could read the cloud graphics. It's wild. If they hadn't, like, deliberately fucked this game up, if they hadn't intentionally altered this game to make you feel shitty, I would be fighting for it for Game of the Year. Instead, it's not making the top. Mm-hmm. Mm. They fucked it up so bad. <laughs> man, it used to be you just bought a video game, man. Just, like, <laughs> you bought it, 
you had an experience and you're like, damn, that was a good time. <sighs> We're down to four. Down to four. I... Okay, for the for the folks keeping track at home, our top are four right now. Live Alive, Pentiment, Pokemon Legends Arceus, and Witch on the Holy Night. Yeah, and the way I'm just going to put out how I'm feeling here. I know this is not going to happen, but in my mind, the top three is Live Alive, Pentiment, and Witch on the Holy Night. I think that's the right answer. I really like Pokemon Legends Arceus. But part of Game of the Year mm-hmm. is there are things that in other categories you're like, I want to forgive this, I want to ignore this because of the magic of this, because of this and this, right? And it's not like you're not allowed to do that here, but I don't feel like I want to have this conversation without saying, like, the game gets pretty grindy, the combat is not great, it runs real badly. Mm. And not, like, crazy badly, sure. right? Not Sword and Shield badly. Not oh, another game by the same studio badly. In the same um, year badly. <laughs> well, um, I mean, the same, yeah. Cal- like, not the calendar year, but the same 365 days. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. That's, um, that's kind of what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I have to clarify because there's another game that is actually within the same calendar year. Um, yeah. Because Nintendo is torturing these people to death. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> You might be correct, but I really need to say something about Legends Arceus. Please do. Okay. I don't want this game to go down quietly. Okay, I will refuse to, because, and I don't want to just necessarily quote what I wrote. Legends Arceus, to me, there have been times in my life in which, like, I've been playing Pokemon games for so fucking long, like everyone has, right? And there was moments in which I just dropped the game completely, and it was like, okay, this just isn't for me anymore. And then I've come back to it, and it's like, oh, wait, this is something, like, kind of fun here. But, like, man, after playing Sword and Shield, I was like, is this where the series is? Is this right? just, is this just, are we just going to have this game, this, like, recreation of Pokemon Emerald again and again and again and again? And Legends Arceus appears, it says, we can do better, and we can do so much fucking more with this idea. You- like Ruby Sapphire, it was like, okay, I guess this is fine. I don't really care. I guess I'm going to duck out of the series for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's happened other times as well. Uh, perhaps the very next game, Diamond and Pearl, which is even more, okay, I guess we're out of ideas. But Sword and Shield, and Jen, I know you feel more positive about those games than we do. I'm still not sure why. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially was because, like, emo- yeah, because like, so- like Sun and Moon was like better, but that was just because it's like, okay, we're changing up the framework a little bit. Anyway, go on. Mm-hmm. But Sword and Shield gen- genuinely was a moment where I went, oh no, is this it? Is this what Pokemon is going to be for the rest of the series? Are we just out of ideas? And- Truly out of ideas. And Legends Arceus, like... Like a fucking, like a massive rift in the sky opening up says, no, there is more here. The fact that the stated goal of Pokemon has always been this idea that you're supposed to go out into your backyard and explore and find beetles and other creepy crawlies that you show off to your friends, right? And Legends Arceus, by just basically having bespoke biomes and just going like, go find Pokemon like like 
because like for years and years and years this is just like the restriction of how these games are played like red like blue and red it's like you have to be on this path you have to be on this grid because it's a fucking game boy which i love the game boy but also come on right and then just the games have been trying to capture that like lightning in a bottle for 25 years basically and legends arceus is like no what if we actually take the emotional appeal of playing a pokemon game and actually make it matter make it different make it like rekindle that feeling like like catching matters for like like i man i was just like when i played pokemon go and it was like oh it's all about like catching the pokemon it's like oh cool i get to swirl the jpeg of the pokeball and then fling it at a thing right here it's like wait a minute, I gotta understand the weight of the Pokeball, I gotta understand where they're facing, I gotta understand what they are distracted by or not distracted by. Like, that's before you even get into combat. And combat is not, like, bespoke, like, like isolated instances. Like, if you find three Drifbloom, you better be fucking prepared to fight three Drifbloom because they will attack you at the same time, whether you like it or not. And, like... I do think a lot of these elements don't hit their promise, right? Like I no. think the the like I I I what your your I think your favorite story to tell about this game was when you uh was it Starly, yes, I believe you lured with a berry. There were Starlies that I lured with a berry and then the other Starly saw the interaction and flew away. And I there are still moments. And it turns out Go ahead. It turns out that's the only interaction you can have with a Starly or any other Pokemon. You can lure them or you can catch them or you can fight them. And like, I get it. It's This is their first draft of a new version of Pokemon. There's a lot they're going to leave on the table. Mm-hmm. But like, they left it on the table. You know, there's, there, there is potential here that is untapped and yeah. it is a little, you know, it gets it gets a little old. Sure. But there are still like moments that are like, I love the moment, like, another moment that I remember so vividly is, like, seeing the alpha Pokemon, seeing these massive, like, bigger versions, even though they're just bigger and they have red glowy eyes. Like, I remember at one point, you know, like, again, in that starting area, I've seen that massive Rapidash and having, like, a bunch of level 5 critters and seeing this thing at level 40, and you just have that moment of, like, oh, wait, this is, like, a hostile environment. And, like, there's something to having to, like in the later biomes just kind of like realize that oh these there are big things out here that want to hurt me and i need to be considerate of that i sometimes you just got to give them a wide berth and just like go around and then then you get the little voice in the back of your head it's like wait a minute what if i can catch this thing what if i can actually like fight this monster and that's also incredible (laughs) Because, like, they can be, like, fairly challenging. Some are more pushovers than others, but they're rarely, fairly rarely pushovers. Like, they feel like, oh, you are, like, crossing into their domain, and you are, (laughs) and they have no problems of, like, wiping you out. Like, Mm -hmm. like, I think the thing that would elevate Legends is just sort of, like, I want them to take a second shot at this. Because there's so much left on the table that they can explore. Like, biomes that, like, blend into each other or trying to chase Pokemon from, like, space to space to, like, kind of move them into, like, a more or less optimal position. That sort of thing. Like, 
I don't know, like, do more with, you know, throwing bait to lure them in or, like, distracting them or something, right? Yeah. And I I think, and also they could do more with, like, the town stuff, like, the settlement. Like, I didn't, like, as much as I love being in that, like, area, like, I felt like there could have been more there. But that's the beauty of this game, is that realizing, like, it's kind of like, it's, like, what Legends Arceus has done is, like, shown, like, like, we've been running into a brick wall for, like, decades and realizing, wait a minute, we could go in this completely other direction and there's so much unexplored territory. And I think that's, like, really special. I even think that you mentioned the alpha stuff, and I think one of the things that, like, people don't talk about, but, like, I have a Lopunny on my team. Mm-hmm. Lopunny is not, like, a great Pokemon. It's okay. It's a fun design. But, like... I have a low punny on my team because it was an alpha low punny, and thus its stats are really fucking good, giving it a spot that I would otherwise not have given it. Mm-hmm. It makes my team more dynamic. Yeah, like because like the alphas like they can learn a different like a like one or two moves outside of their move pool and have different stats. And it's like the thing is, you don't even have to be like a stats person to like really feel that difference. It's like just no. their presence, the way that they fight like on the field and on your team you're like oh no this is like markedly different and eventually like i ended up with like a team of alphas but each one it was like oh yeah i remember the instance of me encountering this thing and fighting it and capturing it and it's like is such a like freeing feeling like there's so many other things in this game that are absolute quality of life things that need to be in every single game going forward like 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 instead of learning a move at a certain level nah you just have a move pool and you can freely edit it just like experiment and try new things like it's really something Mm. yeah uh the future of pokemon is bright yeah and if it has to go like it it goes but that's just because like legends 2 you have like i can only hope that they do a legends 2 and they make it work and make it worthy of like the praise that i have like that we've like heaped on it me specifically it is my game of the year of 2022 like it is such a phenomenal thing um and you should absolutely like try it like it i think it's something really special and that makes our top three live alive pentiment and witch on the holy night and I think uh, Sal here's the okay. I mean, we know who wins, probably, but we should at least say things about each game. Do we? <laughs> That's the thing, right? Yeah? Okay. Go ahead. All three of these games are fucking incredible, and I'm not sure which one deserves top dog spot. I'm 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 pretty sure. Okay, let's just say it. What do you think uh, is Life Alive? Jen, what are all you think? really good. It's live alive. <laughs> See, I was leaning more towards Pentiment, but uh I think Pentiment's I think Pentiment has some real flaws with the third act that keep it from that. Mm. I also think like for I don't know if I want this game to have voice acting or what, but I think there are times where the pace of a game that is just walking up to people and seeing texts 
right out, I think sometimes the pacing of conversations gets a little weary. I guess that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with you about the third act being a little weaker um, in specific parts, but uh, it's also a thing where, like, I think it is so singular in what it achieves. Like, it's a game that not only is well-written, it's a well-written game that, like, talks about religion in a way that, like, most games either steer clear from or just don't know how to talk about it in an intelligent way. And it's it's really something to have a game where, like, you end up, like, eating with an Ethiopian priest and suddenly the art style changes to reflect, like, Ethiopian art from that time as he tells you about the specific versions that are of uh, the Bible from his country and stuff like that. It's uh, it's really smart the way that it weaves a lot of that stuff together alongside with just like being an incredible take on what like The Name of the Rose was doing uh, written by Umberto Eco in the 80s. And uh, but why, why does Pentiment speak to you so much? Because I know this is your like I've, I've seen your list and I see how high Pentiment is. Why does it speak to you? I think it speaks to me just because it like does a fantastic job of getting you within this specific community and making you care about the shit that's happening. And uh, it's, I also think it does a phenomenal job of like achieving the potential that a lot of detective games have reached. I I have attempted to reach, but never quite made it in terms of like, it gives you a lot of, it gives you a bunch of different leads that you can chase. Each one of them, it seems like it is worthwhile. But you can only investigate so many in so much time. And also, like, you have a ticking clock, and the ticking clock is not always accurate. <laughs> like, sometimes you have way less time than you actually expect to have. And uh, it's just this thrilling, stre- sometimes stressful very engaging story about this interloper visiting this Bavarian village and really connecting with the people, but also sometimes just leaving them in a worse state than they were when the, when things started up here. But I also think that Live Alive might be the winner just because it, uh... It's fucking Live Alive. <laughs> yeah, it's like a gigantic love letter to storytelling in a way that is just impeccable. Of this entire list, it's the one that I look at and say no notes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's been the story of like every category we've had up to this moment is that we nominate something from Live Alive and we talk around it because it's like, oh yeah, this is at the very least top three, if not the winner. It's like one exception that proves the rule. Sorry, Sundown Kid. <laughs> Sorry, Sundown Kid. <laughs> but it is one of those things where Live Alive, it is like. Not only greater than the sum of its parts, the individual parts are pretty good, too. (laughs) Like, yeah, like Live Alive is this thing that like takes disparate like themes and tones and ideas and like styles. It just mixes it all together beautifully. Yeah, Yoko, and Yoko Shimomura pops the fuck off. And it's one of the rare games that is even elevated in its remake form. Like, not just by the new graphics, the um, new arrangements for the music, and... Uh, Live Alive makes 2D HD 
actually makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I, one of the key things that makes it all work, at least for me, is the fact that it the the casting they have done for the Japanese voice acting, like, finds the people they need to have for this specific story and collection of stories. Like, it it elevates, like, with the voice acting, it's not just a love letter to storytelling. It's also a love letter to the people who make the storytelling work, that make it come alive. Okay. I still think Live Alive wins, but I could trade Pentiment for Pokemon Legends Arceus. Wow. I would absolutely push for that because I think that Pentiment is like a really cool like aesthetic, to be clear. And it but it's like like it's it sounds like it is extremely well written and really resonant well research too like this well, is one of the few games where the credits have a full ass bibliography where they show that oh yeah we did our research we made all of this accurate right like i i think though that like the thing that like sets like legends the reason why i would want to celebrate legends in a top three is like the fact one nintendo you need to stop crunching these like like the Pokemon company, because I saw what happened with Scarlet and Violet. Like if if Scarlet and Violet was the follow up to like Sword and Shield, I would feel miserable about Pokemon. I'm not gonna lie. Be like, oh man, this is this is not a good place for this series to be. Just on the record, that Six and I both disagree with Curie's dislike of Scarlet and Violet. Yeah, I would. I would like. I guess I wouldn't feel any worse than I do now because my my feelings are just around like the the way they're treating the studio yes i think scarlet and violet are great games but the thing about like okay but the thing that like sets like legends apart is that it shows a path that i really think that like seriously the rest of these games should follow and i think it captures like there is this idea of looking back at like a formula or looking back at like a game with like a storied history and actually drilling down into what makes it appealing. And I think Arceus does this like beautifully. Like I like for its faults, I think it has so much to offer like as a, as a path. And I think I'm still making up my mind. This is the, this is the, and like you know, obviously, whatever we decide, we've we've got to we've got to agree and form some kind of you know agreement consensus. or consensus or yeah. whatever. Um, so I'm not like deciding what will win here or whatever. But like, I also want to keep in mind that for pacing reasons, there are points of Pentiment where there are like genuine. There is genuine gameplay. There are mini games. They're usually pretty bad. The stick breaking mini game. Oh, did you fuck that one up? No, it's just bad. Oh, okay. I don't, like, it's like, oh, okay, break them so that they're smallish but not tiny. It's easy. It's just like, what are we doing? I'm moving a slider and then pressing A to break a stick, like, 12 times. I don't know why I'm here. I don't uh, know. Like, I, I kind of see it on the same level as, like, the meal times that you do, where you specifically have to go over to a specific 
food item and eat it. Like, uh, it's just a little mechanic to keep you immersed in the world. But it sounds like it broke, that, like that broke for six months. I don't know if broke, I just I just felt like it was a stupid use of my time. Um, I mean, like the, like... I feel like the point of the picking food is one to, or like one to make you, as you say, feel a little more immersed in the meal, and also to sort of intentionally break up the pacing by like, oh no, now you have to move a cursor, and it sort of eating food takes time. I don't know, but then like, or like you know, the cookie cutting mini game, which is like, okay, I guess I did that. I fucked that one up. <laughs> it's funny because they have a whole bit. It's like, um, you hear it. If you fuck that one up, everyone just keeps talking about how it's a shame that there's not enough cookies to go around. You even get a little kid being like, oh, mom, can't I have another cookie? Sorry, we don't have enough. Wow, why to break that kid's apart? <laughs> this is very funny because I didn't think about it, but I got the complete opposite where everyone's just like, and it's really great that there are enough cookies. <laughs> See, and if I meant, like, some of the side stuff of Legends Arceus, like, some of the, like, okay, so there's that, like, guard that asks you for a bigger boy. And it's like, well, fuck you, I want my bigger pencil, right? But there are, like, things that they do where, like, the side quests of, like, Pokemon just in general just don't really even really matter all that much if they even do exist. But I love the fact that, like, in Legends, you have these opportunities to interact with the community and be like, sometimes you'll walk into someone's house and they're like, you know, this person is like, uh, there's, like, a thing running around in my house. Can you please help me find it? And it's like, it's really charming or like at one point, like three uh, Bidoofs get like loose in the village and you're tasked with like, okay, you got to find them, but there's no marker on your map. You got to think about like, Oh, where would like a beaver go? Where would it go in this like little town? And you're like having to look for them and find them. And I find that like so incredibly charming because oftentimes the, like, Pokemon games very rarely ever, like, have people interact with Pokemon more than just, here's here's my Lady Ba, now I'm gonna fight you, right? Like, you get this sensation that, like, people actually have something resembling a relationship with these monsters that you would, ha- like, you the player would have because you just interact with them so much. But, like, there is something really special to, like, they're going to a farmer or not farmer. Like there's like a, there's like a lady who's like, Oh, I need, I need a Pokemon. That's really heavy. That can like weigh down this barrel so I can make really good pickles. And it's like, you get to give that, like I gave them like a, not a shiny geo dude, but like like a geo dude in my party. And then every time I walked past that stand, there was my geo dude just sitting there making the pickles ferment faster. And it's like, that's just really fun and cute. And there are so many moments like that in this game. I think, I think without a doubt, Pentiment is a better game. I just don't think I can. I can question that. What I have, what I feel like I am weighing here is that Pentiment is very good, and Pentiment is like get out of the way and let writers write. And I'm oh, like, yeah. hell yeah! Obsidian has been banging that drum for a long time. <laughs> And Pokemon Legends Arceus is, after 30 years, them saying, actually, maybe we can come up with a future. And that's worth a lot. <laughs> like, I, I come off of playing Legends Arceus and being like, oh, wait, I'm actually excited for, like, the future of where this, like, series can go. Because, like, 
I, I think that there are elements of Arceus that straight up just do not work. But the things at play, like, just make the whole thing just, like, better than that. Like, I love the, um, there's a photographer in town that you get to talk to. And he'll occasionally show you a photo. It's like, I would really love to see this Pokemon. Because this is early in the timeline where people are still scared of them. And so you have to look at the photo and actually think about the biomes and places you go as actual living places. And go there and find the Pokemon like that's in the corner of the picture he hastily took. And that's like really characterful and interesting. And as as I said before in my list, like games very rarely ever get me into that point of thinking, oh, shit could just like, you know, it actually fully immerses me. And the fact is Legends Arceus pulled off that trick multiple times. Like, like it... I think it's something that is incredibly special and incredibly well executed. Yeah. I I will say in Pentiment's case, I did play it coming off of the outer worlds. So (laughs) I was also in a situation where I was like, I don't know if Obsidian still has it, but they absolutely, they absolutely do still have it. They just make a stinker every now and then. This is not how I feel. Right, mm-hmm. but I guess the, there is a game here we haven't really talked about, which is Witch on the Holy Night. I like it better than Pentiment. Jen, how do you feel? I think it might be a little bit better than Pentiment, yeah, because okay. Witch on the Holy Night is just something that, like, Witch on the Holy Night is one of the rare visual novels where I just say everyone needs to read this thing. It is, uh, It has some pretty dark moments in it, but it's also just impeccably written um every member of the cast from the main characters to the your dipshit friend in high school um is really entertaining to spend time with and prompts you to just think about them and what their lives are like when you're not playing the game uh, it's it's a must read on every single level i liked it so much that i ended up getting like the big boxed copy at some point <laughs> when that came out but uh yeah i i do i do think that we can cut pentiment and replace with arceus but uh one of the ultimate things that is swaying me towards that end is we need to have a game on here that Curie has actually played <laughs> <laughs> well Don't listen call it's not me. our fact Curie has bad taste <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> I don't. I don't mean that. I mean, Frank plays. I mean, like you are a part of okay, this. Okay, I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Okay, all right. Just felt I mean, like a weird dunk. That's all. I, oh no, it's not a weird dunk. I'm just saying that a list for the site needs to represent all of us. And if we just went through this and didn't like count anything that mattered to you, that would that would suck. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the the job of the job of the site list is to reflect the site. And I think, like, I'm not saying it's impossible to omit omit your game of the year, but I think in, like, a tiebreaker that absolutely breaks the tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I, like, I know I'm fucking up by not, like, spending as much time with Live Alive or Witch of the Holy Night as you two have. Like, I, I just know this in my heart, um, and I... I'm going to take my Switch around more often so I can play those games. Absolutely. And I don't think necessarily Legends Arceus wins, like, the top. But uh, goddamn, what a 
I like it is like I still think like it is just a phenomenal piece of work like that is really special to me and I think to a lot of people. Like I yeah. I'm really glad to have it in the top three. I think that's I think that's the right call. Yeah. Um and I still think Live Alive wins. Yeah, because it's fucking live alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking live alive. It's fucking um, live you know, actually, alive, yeah. I, I said I had no notes. That's actually not true. The One note. Twilight of Edo Japan really should have been a little better paced. But, but you know. <laughs> for for taking a game from, like, it is a, like, again, Super Nintendo JRPGs. Like, I have, a, I have an affection for them. I like those games a lot. Sometimes, like, you run into a pacing issue from, like, they, like the, almost a, like, really special thing Alive Alive is how little it's actually changed besides the aesthetic stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, like, it's just straight up an amazing game. It's the Chrono Trigger people, and they turns out we didn't know it, but all along they made a better game than Chrono Trigger. You might be right. Like... And that's yeah. wild. Wild to consider. Especially considering that, like, Live like I mean, the big thing was, like, I think Live Alive was, like, for the longest time, this, like, mythical, untranslated game that never came out in the U.S. for yeah. some reason. It, the reason is, be- is because it sold, like, absolute dog shit, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and they're full of fools at the Square. They've been foolish for decades. <laughs> that Nintendo Direct, where it was, like... The cold classic, live the alive. <laughs> like I, I, you start watching it and you're like, "How are they making like a like a triangle? Are they making like a I don't know like some sort of like Octopath two or something? This actually looks kind of cool. I mean, it's Octopath, so it's gonna what the fuck? <laughs> you find a giant dinosaur. You go into like a fucking like robot suit. You go into the future. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> like an egg. Yeah, man." Um, our game of the year is Live Alive, with runners-up Pokemon Legends Arceus and Witch on the Holy Night. Uh, we did you it. You should play all these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though, there is a there is a world in which you wait long enough that they come out with Pokemon Legends Victini, and it's just like, all right, just play that instead. That's, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay, hear me out. Le- like, <laughs> Legends Lugia, right? Like the burning of the tower, like them, they have to build the tower, and that's like the central like plot hook. And then you burn it, yeah, with the new with the new like Jodo like I don't know fucking Jodo like the ice cream one, and now it's a Molotov cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) All right, we did it. That is the gimmick awards, everyone. That's the last one. Of this year. Last one. Uh, Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for for going on this long journey with us through 2022 in review. We talked about a lot of, like, really fun, interesting games, like, in the course of these awards. Yeah. In anime and, you know, movies. And, you know, it's... This is the smallest the gimmick awards have been in a little bit, right? We scaled down, Yes. right? Yeah, because, yeah, we had, like, what, 15 last year or something like that? I think we had more than that. I Did think we? we had 20. No, we didn't have 20. Did we? Crazy. We had a lot. We had a lot, but I think I like to think of these awards as, like, you know, like, reflecting on, like, because 
you know, our our ambitions are getting bigger, but that's only because of like the incredible support that we have. Mm-hmm. And it gives us the opportunity to push ourselves to like look at new games, look at, you know, movies and anime and just really find out about new things like something that you mentioned in one of the awards like many of the award winners this year were requests sent in by patrons Mm -hmm. and that's incredible yeah Yeah. um i think scaling down the awards was the right idea for our own sanity of Mm -hmm. course um slight slight not grousing but just you know a moment of of laying 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 myself out here a little bit the season's really hard for me this is a lot of editing. Um, yeah, it's rough. And uh, and with that, thank you, sex. Like seriously, <laughs> sure. like you, you really, like, in a lot of ways, you are like, <laughs> get, like we all like push this thing forward, and we like. There's a lot that you do that is like you do a lot of the heavy lifting on these, like organizing these, and like finding out, like, like really, like when we were debating like categories and all that, like it's it's. When we were lost, you would offer like a clarity of vision, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think this has been a smarter way to do this. This has had had a better result. It's been a better experience for all of us here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the lessons we learned over the course of twenty twenty two is though Scanline keeps getting bigger in moments in places. It is a smarter and better decision to make something smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make something smaller and make and really polish it to like a mirror shine. Like, and again, I feel like like part of us being able to do that is the incredible like support that we have. So, thank you. You were the gimmick award all along, our uh, dear <laughs> listener. Yeah. yeah. Person of the year, that's you. You, the girl listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll shut up in a minute here, but as a, as a last last little bit here before we go into the plug zone, because um, it's the end, so we can actually do a plug zone. Yeah. Um, as this comes out in ten days, it will be the tenth anniversary of us opening the doors on Scanline Media, um, bringing the site fully online with a bunch of stuff already written. Mm. It has been a wild thing for something that I, I I mean, I think at the time it's, it's long enough ago that it's hard to remember exactly, but I know at the time I was like, this is a place for me to write articles and have them a place I can keep track of so that when I apply for Kotaku, I can be like, look (laughs) at this. This is my resume. Um, not really how I think of this place anymore. Yeah. Like Jen, what what were you thinking as well? Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. I think both six and I had this idea that, uh, we were going to do, we were going to use this as a platform for our writing so that uh, we could um, put it on cover letters and other situations so that we could eventually like get a full-time job working in the industry. But like over time, as things change, as things have changed, as the industry has changed and we've kind of diversified into podcasts and to streaming and all that sort of stuff, like this is less of a, platform to make us look good for jobs and it it's the real scanline media's true purpose now for me is home this place is home to me yeah and i i certainly like i 
God, I remember the first, like, once, like, first, like, podcast that we recorded together. That was roughly five, six years ago at this point. And mm-hmm. how originally I think, like, I, I don't even, like, <laughs> it has become so integrated into, like, my, like, life in some ways. I didn't, I don't even remember, like, how it even started sometimes, but, like, Originally, like, when I came on, like, more frequently, it it was more than just, like, I moved in with Jen in 2019, and it was like, well, she's recording all this stuff, and occasionally you needed, like, a third person, right? And I, at a certain point, I realized, like, my place in this was, like, I, like, what, genuinely, I have been getting, like, I have found, like, I get so much emotional fulfillment from doing all the stuff that we do. Like, I, for many years, wondered, like, what am I actually good at? Like, what am I actually, like, capable of doing as a person artistically or, you know, anything like that? And it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, I can, in fact, be, you know, (laughs) understandable on, like, a podcast. Like, I I never thought I could do this sort of thing the editing and all the other projects that we do and i know that i at the very least have been helpful in pushing like the both of you into like trying new and more ambitious things because it's like it turns out like we all have these ambitions and i appreciate like being able to be given the platform to like try just try stuff out you know and like try new and interesting things so Again, like what started as just sort of like, oh, here's you know YouTube's resume. It's like, oh wait a minute, this is just stuff that we do. And I still remember last year, like sending sending y'all the DM that like after maybe two weeks of waiting, Otakon was like, oh wait, you are a press organization, cover our show, which is yeah. wild. With like almost no like like i didn't get, like i i don't know what if they why they would give me pushback or anything but the fact was they saw that what youtube did and what we had done over the past several years and just like no y'all are just like we're just straight up press we're doing the damn thing and mm-hmm. that's incredible yeah yeah uh i i don't know like i obviously wouldn't have made it this far without jen and i don't think I, th- I think we both know that what the site has become wouldn't have been possible without without what Kyrie's done, too. Absolutely. Um, and in some fucked up way, shout out to Nick, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, what his deal is, but you know what? <laughs> he he has been the in many ways the silent back but for which is weird to describe Nicholas as silent. Um <laughs> truth be told, as like this silent support, this like gentle support that we like whenever we were having troubles like i knew that we could speak with him and be like no wait we can actually like we can rely on him like when it counts and mm-hmm. like all of this like comes from like like there is <laughs> there is no singular effort here it is like is a combination of a lot of people's efforts and people that we are like not so much failing to mention, but we need to make it explicitly clear that Scanline Media does not happen without a lot of people putting in a lot of like hard and dedicated work. And I just want to take a minute here to thank all the hosts we've had, um, past and present, um, current and emeritus, which is of course our term for people who were hosts of shows and then, you know, after after all their work, you know, the life had other plans and they had to move on. 
um, but their influence and the, the impact they had over those shows remains. Um, obviously, I'll exclude uh, Jen, Kyrie, Nick, and myself, because we're the core staff. You already know about us. Um, but I wanted to say a big thank you to Alan, host of The Creature Quorum, The Garnet Wager, and Oops More Anime. Alan has been a wonderful yes and, both on and off the air. Uh, flexible, kind, and enthusiastic about all sorts of random projects. We're all incredibly grateful to them. Andrea, who uh, is our newest host over on Scanline Tabletop. Andrea is our newest player um, for the Wayward Line uh, Beam Saber campaign we're running. She's got a lot of experience with tabletop RPGs, um, and working with her has already been a real delight, and I, I'm looking forward to doing so more. Dylan of Mechanista and G. Mechanist and G only exist because of Dylan. Their expertise and passion is the show. Uh, I show up to give them someone to bounce their ideas off of and to edit the recordings, but it runs on Dylan being excited about robots. M, host of Romance of the Two Networks and host emeritus of Novel Not New. Like us, M has a tendency to take on too many podcasts, and ultimately it led to them leaving Novel Not New. Um, it's a show they started alongside Jen and were kind enough to invite me to. M's insights and kindness have been such gifts to us on and off the air. Emily, host emeritus of Bottlecrow. Bottlecrow's history is weird and complicated, and my big sister Emily's time on it started the seeds of what it is now. It's hard to remember when I did a serious, straight-faced Dota 2 podcast. Uh, Emily started us down the variety comedy road, and that's 90% of what that show is now. Inez, host emeritus of Ultimate Despair Reprise. Inez stuck it out through season one of UDR, offering pointed critique and dry wit, and her enthusiasm on her first foray into podcasting helped define the show's tone and style. Jackie, host of Ultimate Despair Reprise, UDR relies on Jackie's enthusiasm to keep going. Insightful and energetic, her ability to keep her co-hosts laughing and mix up the conversation is invaluable. Jackson, host of Romance of the Two Networks. The months of doing Romance of the Two Networks with Jackson, M, and Jen are some of the most fun I've ever had recording a podcast. Jackson's funny, smart, and just a delight to talk with. Jesse, host emeritus of Bottlecrow. I still get listeners asking after Jesse following their stint as a host of Bottlecrow. Jesse's level-headed, funny, and knowledgeable and was exactly what that show needed at the time. June, host of Scanline Tabletop. It's been really great to work with June over on Scanline Tabletop, across both Embers of War and the Wayward Line. She's passionate, accommodating, and also really helpful behind the scenes, uh, going above and beyond to help with the production in ways that I think most people will probably never see. Kat, host emeritus of Scanline Tabletop. Kat's performance as Fennel Kua defined Starsung Distance, our first beam saber campaign of Scanline Tabletop. Their sense of comedy and the unexpected pushed the game into better territory, and they had the drama chops when it came time for that, too. Matthew, host of the Bald Gun Guy podcast. As the rhythm of Bald Gun Guy's formula has really hit us, it would have been easy to get tired with the show. Matthew's warm attitude and eagerness to engage has really kept the show alive. Manofsky, host of the Creature Quorum. If I have a criticism for Manofsky, it's that their passion and positivity sometimes makes the quorum hard to do. How are we supposed to be mean to these creatures when Manofsky brings such joy? Their knowledge and love for all things monsters has made us able to have a different sort of conversation on that show. Mia Drog, host of Neutral Game. 
I miss Neutral Game, but it had one of the best reasons for ending. Miodrag is now working full-time at a game studio in Sweden, shepherding major projects. He fought incredibly hard to climb his way up game dev, and as great as it was to have his voice and perspective on a podcast, it's so much better to see him able to achieve his goal and live it, the goal I've seen him working on since I first knew him. Olivia, host emeritus of Novel Not New. Uh, Olivia's taste in visual novels runs similar to mine, but their perspective is so different, and the combination was just magical for the show. Jen and I were both sad to see them go, an understandable consequence of the heavy workload that Novel Not New entails. Rose, host emeritus of the Bald Gun Guy podcast. It's been a challenge to find an identity for Bald Gun Guy after Rose left. I think we found it, but Rose's voice was so core to what made that show great. I'm happy with our new approach, but we'll never replace what Rose brought to the pod. We can only try something different. Ty, host of the Bald Gun Guy podcast. From the beginning, Ty was the most obvious pick for Bald Gun Guy, if they would say yes. Not just for their extensive knowledge and experience with Hitman, but for the insight and perspective they voice every time I get a chance to talk to them. And beyond these folks, we have so many guests, more than I could possibly count. Dozens upon dozens of folks who have guested on shows uh, all up and down the network and have really just graced us with their with their experience, their time, their wisdom, their humor, and just been such a blessing to us uh, and to all of the network. Yeah. And all the wonderful artists who've created art for us. It's it's been amazing and uh yeah you know 10 years if you don't stop and think about that you're an idiot you know i have to i have to take a second here and be like holy shit um but of course this is not a stopping oh yeah you not even close i also want to just uh shout out both uh m and olivia for their time on novel not new um along with all the guests that we've had on that show as well like uh it's it's wild how that podcast just started as like a Man, a lot of these places just don't talk about visual novels in, like, smart ways. What if we just did a podcast on that? And it grew into this whole thing that expanded beyond that, became about narrative games, and is, like, one of my biggest passion projects for Scanline Media. Yeah. Yeah, like... And it... it, There's so much more that we are gonna be doing in this year and in the years to come but like as i i have we've all said like from the bottom of our hearts thank you yeah thank you and uh you know stay tuned absolutely for now jen where can people find you on the internet so i'm at jbu3 on twitter um I'm also on co-host as uh, Jen-and-Aster. Kyrie? Twitter, as always, somehow remains. But, you know, you can find me at Kyrie, a page. That is where you'll find me tweeting. Um, also, I, I really need to do more with it. But, like, we do... Scaling Media does have a Tumblr that I'm going to try and maintain over 2023. So, tumblr.com slash you can find me on Twitter at Sixdetmar, S-I-X-D-E-T-T-M-A-R. That is the easiest way to contact us for anything about the site, because my DMs are open there. Anyone and any, anyone, I guess there's anyone and anyone. What else do you say with the answer? Anyone can DM me. 
um, with whatever questions, comments, concerns, feedback. Uh, we also, of course, have emails at scanlinemedia.com. Mm -hmm. On other social media services for when Twitter inevitably collapses, mm -hmm. um, at Six Detmar again. Yeah, and of course, like, scanlinemedia.com, that's where we post just about everything. And we've been working hard on that, too. Yeah, scanlinemedia.com and patreon.com slash scanlinemedia, where we post all of our uh, patron content and where we, you know, are able to do this because of, right? Like, obviously, the, the Patreon shows would pretty much not exist without the Patreon. Mm -hmm. But also, a lot of the main stuff wouldn't exist because it is that support there that makes all of our work possible. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, everybody, and peace out. See ya. Later. Later.